Hi, this is Jim Swilly. Welcome to Metron Live. Metron is a Greek word that means sphere of influence. I believe in living your best life possible, and that's the reason for this podcast. This is my Metron. Now let me help you discover yours. So um, let's let's begin with some uh, affirmations. The highest affirmation is I am. We're going to ascend up to that. So uh, when I point to me, I say it. When I point to you, you say it. So I am blessed. I am a blessing. I am. Um, hey, Will. Good. Um, thank you, Avery. Um, I am free. I am freedom. Hey, Donnie. I am. I am well. I am wellness. I am. Good. Thank you, Stephanie. Um, I am joyful. I am joy. I am. I am whole. I am wholeness. I am. Um, I am um, I feel like saying this. I am prepared. I am preparedness. Hey, Eddie. I am. Um, I am ready. Hey, Kathy. I am readiness. I am. I think I've used those words before. That's that's a good energy on that. Hey, Romanita. Um, I am healthy. I am health. I am. Hey, Matthew, I am enlightened. I am enlightenment. I am. Hey, Wynn, I am um, happy. I am happiness. I am. Beautiful. I never get tired of doing that. It always works. Um, Let's do a little bit of breath work. I love, while those words are still in the atmosphere, I love adding the uh, breathing techniques. So uh, we're going to go in through the nose, hold it, then out through the mouth. Here we go. In. Hold. Out. Beautiful. In. Hey, Ernie and Leona. Out. Inhale. Exhale. In, out. I like to do a little bit of breath work before I uh, teach because um, it's kind of like cleansing the the uh, mental palate to receive uh, the word. So uh, in, I speak in this atmosphere and I say, let there be light. And I may walk in a minute, but I'm just going to, until I get these uh, uh, first things said, it's going to be stationary. It looks like we've got a good spot. Looks like we've got a good spot here. Um, And if somebody asks me to move, I don't don't think I'm violating any rules by doing this, but if somebody asks me to move, we'll just, we'll move. But um, Isaiah chapter 11, it's, uh, it's a beautiful messianic prophecy it's the it's the whole passage where we get the imagery about uh when the messiah comes that the lion will lay down with the lamb and it's it's it sounds more like a like a psalm one of david's writings but um verse one of isaiah 11 says um it, it it prophesies the coming of jesus and it says uh, out of Jesse, a, a root will stem, will spring up. Jesse was the father of David. And, um, which is interesting because Jesus was related to David through his stepfather. Like the reason they went to Bethlehem f- for the nativity was not because Mary's people were from there, but because Joseph's people were, which is, that's a whole that's a whole other, uh, whole other thing. That's so cute. Your poodle's adorable. <laughs> um, I wish the audience could see this 
poodle, poodle, poodle with purple hair. Hey, Jackie. Anyway, um, but verse two is what I want to talk about, and he 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 says that the the thing that will set this Messiah apart was uh, like some translations say this he will manifest the seven spirits of God. Probably a better way to interpret it is a, the sevenfold spirit of God. But he says, um, first of all, he will have the spirit of the Lord upon him. And that's, you know, in, in um, um, Luke chapter four is when Jesus goes to the temple and he, uh, hey, Anne, he stands, he reads Isaiah's prophecy, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me to preach liberty to the captives, etc." And uh, he stands up and he says, this day, this prophecy has been fulfilled in your ears. And I've, I've talked extensively about that. The, the anointing is not a, a feeling as much as it is an equipping for service. The, the Spirit of the Lord, when the Spirit of the Lord is upon you, it's to cause you to do something. The Spirit of the Lord causes activism. The Spirit of the Lord uh, creates energy that improves people like um isaiah 61 says the spirit of the lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach liberty to the captives the opening of the prison to them that are bound to recover sight to the blind all, all those hey dr a all of those um all of those things that are about about um making spirituality work making it and and i feel that very strongly here in front of this um museum that's if, if you ever get a chance to go in here it's really beautiful it's it's dedicated to there's all the stuff about gandhi and dr king and uh, all these people that have made a, a, a real difference in the life in, in life because the spirit of the lord was upon them so uh then he says um he'll have the spirit of the lord the spirit of wisdom the spirit of understanding the spirit of counsel the spirit of might the spirit of knowledge, and then finally says the, the spirit of the fear of the Lord. And the, the idea of the fear of the Lord is definitely been misinterpreted by people who, who try to take ancient texts and give them uh, and try to understand them through a uh, modern lens. We talk about the fear of the Lord. We're not talking about being afraid of God in the sense of uh, he could hurt me. It's, it's the awe of God. Like, uh, I don't know if kids still say this, but I remember when I was in high school, um, like if somebody did something really amazing or if they wore something that everybody was impressed with uh, or if they, you know, they accomplished something that was impressive, people would say, oh, scared of you, scared of you. Like if so, that's when you knew you looked really, really good is if you wore something amazing to school and people were like, scared of you and when they said scared of you it doesn't mean they're like running from you in horror it means they're awed by your greatness so when we talk about the fear of the lord it's the it's being awed at the mystical it's being awed at the um uh transformative being awed at the things that are are bigger than you that's not like when i go to the ocean I'm afraid of the ocean, but it's not, it's not fear like it's going to hurt me. It could. I mean, if I tried to swim the entire ocean, I'm not going to make it. The, the ocean's going to win. But I know how to survive in the ocean. However, it's awesome and, and, and can, can be intimidating because it's supposed to be. So um, I, I, I want to talk a little bit specifically about this concept of the spirit of understanding. I'm not going to reteach my 1111 from Thursday night, but if you get a chance to listen to it, I, I think it's maybe one of the most important things I've ever talked about. And uh, some of it I've said before, but um, let me just run you through it real, real quick. I said I'm not going to reteach it, and here I go. But I just want to give you a little, um, it's like when you're, when you're, uh, binge watching a, a series on Netflix, 
when it comes on, there'll be, you know, little snippets from the previous episode to remind you this is what happened in the last, the last hour. So, um, Thursday night I was talking about, uh, Genesis one, two, and three, which I'm, you know, I'm in a lot, always have been. And, um, um, I was talking about how when I'm reading this story that I've read thousands of times and taught on hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times, and I feel like I'm looking at it now through really new eyes. Uh, And um, I, I love that. I love that you can, again, I use this metaphor a lot, but I love that you can turn the diamond just a little bit and it catches a different reflection, a different facet of the light and opens up a whole new paradigm for you. <laughs> Bish flicks. Ed. Anyway, um, so I was talking about uh, the first chapter is largely uh, Moses's poetic interpretation of how he explained creation. It, it it was not meant to be taken literally. The Bible's not supposed to be a science book. Of course, the earth is older than 6,000 years. If you, try to, if you try to literalize the Bible and you believe that 6,000 years ago there was nothing here and then suddenly God speaks everything to exi- in, into existence and makes Adam and Eve and they're the first, then you're, I, I promise you, m- m- if Moses was standing here with me, which maybe he is, uh, he would be the first one to say, like, no, I wasn't, a, I wasn't speaking as a scientist. I was speaking, I was speaking poetically. It was, it was metaphor. Um, and even when you read Genesis 1, there's talk of other civilizations that already existed. There was a place called Nod, the land of Nod that already existed. Just go back and read it. It's, it's amazing to me how literalists can't see things that are just very obviously even in the scripture you don't even have to you don't have to understand the hebrew or greek just read that one line right there you know that sort of flies in the face of your absolutism it's because eastern writings are are mystical they're not meant to be um uh confined to western ideas of binary understandings of everything uh the from the east we get the idea that everything is everything that nothing's separated nothing's disconnected that's why so many of these uh new age or new thought teachers really tap into that because they they don't have a sense of things being easily defined that everything like the more you look into the meaning of things, the more awed you are by everything. So um, then I talked about how when you get towards the end of chapter one, uh, it's it's not God speaking in the singular. It's the gods, plural, Elohim. Let us make man in our image. And again, don't try to intellectualize that. Uh, I'm I'm saying. Is God one? Yes. Is God many? Yes. Like those, in the spirit realm, phrases like that are not contradictory. This is one reason I really am intrigued by quantum physics. Like in in the material world, you could say I'm over here and something is over there. When you go to the subatomic world, Uh, Quantum physics has shown us that a thing can exist here and it can exist there. Uh, There's not spatial limitations, especially in the subatomic world. And that's what fascinates the physicists. It's like the the rules, like in Newtonian physics, what what goes up must come down. That's not true in quantum physics. When you look under a microscope and you look at the the, the microscopic world that would be invisible to our naked eyes, uh, there's this whole other rules of up and down and things that are spatial and, and uh, you see that every, everything's connected. So, um, um, in verse 26 and 27, uh, the Elohim come together as this council and they say, let us make man or make people in our 
image and um, let them have dominion over the earth. And they, they, you know, elaborate on the animals, the, you know, the creeping things, the swimming things, the flying things, which was symbolic of the, the, the creator giving his, her, its cr creation, um, a, um, or giving their creation a, uh, you know, complete dominion over this, over this planet. So, um, then it goes on to talk in chapter two about how, uh, God speaks light into existence, but then still, you know, he still creates a sun and a moon, even though light already existed. And I didn't mention that Thursday night, but, um, you know, when you're reading this, like if you'd never heard it before, you think, what if light already existed, why does there need to be a sun and a moon? It's because it's not either or, it's yes and. By the way, I'm going to speak very, very um, abstractly today. So um, you, you need to come up higher. I'm, I'm on a mountain this morning and the same way that Jesus went up on the mountain in Matthew 5 and waited for everybody to ascend up to him. I'm up here today. So I'm going to say things that might not make sense to the natural mind. So um, light already existed, but then he creates the, the sources of light. Sun, moon, stars, etc. Then he says, then they say, let us make people in our image. But then, out of the created earth, uh, then it begins to speak of God in the singular. Um, the creator uh, takes dust of the earth and he forms Adam and he breathes into Adam. He, it, it's basically, it's the Hebrew word, N-A-P-H-A-C-H, it's nafach. And it's like he literally... Um, he literally inflated Adam. It's like in the same way that you would pick up a float or a balloon and blow into it. God, uh, he picks up Adam like Adam's limp. He inflates him. So when Adam opens his eyes, he has the saliva of God on his lips uh, because God literally breathed into his mouth. It's like he gave him mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation. And... So then um, he, he, he brings uh, the animals to Adam to see what Adam will call them. And whatever Adam calls them is what God calls them. So there, there is an indication that Adam has the say now. Adam determines what's going to happen here. Uh, the creator has created his creation and says, all right, I'm going to show you this thing that jumps up and down uh, and carries babies in a pouch. Um, which, by the way, I don't think any of this is literal. P please understand, this is a spiritual allegory. But God only says it's a kangaroo if Adam says it's a kangaroo. God only says it's an eagle, if, I mean, if, God, if Adam says it. So that's, th that really indicates why we have this idea of the fall of man is because Adam called himself fallen, not because the creator did. The creator never saw a disconnect between him and his creation. Paul said we were alienated from God in our minds. The, what we call the fall was a, um, was a perception. It was, um, it was a, a way of looking at things. And Adam saw himself naked and so God had to call him naked the only reason like if you think God's mad at me the only reason that could ever happen is because you're mad at you and your perception of God uh, has somehow conflated and you you're bringing curses on yourself because you're going through life with the perception that you're under some kind of curse but you've actually cursed yourself because the, the, the nature of the creation in you has given you authority that whatever you call a thing is what God calls it. So, um, 
he brings the animals to Adam, but then he says it's not good that the man should be alone. And you know the whole thing about how he puts Adam into his sleep and he takes a rib out of him and he creates Eve. Of course, this is not this is not biological fact. This is how Moses was describing his understanding of how things came together. Okay. And dare I say, Moses would probably encourage you to come up with your own creation mythology, your own understanding. Uh, one thing I love uh, is, one, one translation I love is in the concordant literal version. They show that in the, um, in the Hebrew, you know, in the King James it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. In the Hebrew, it actually says in a, capital A, in a beginning, not in the beginning. And so even these ancients who had no concept of things like, like in quantum physics, they talk about the multiverse or um, uh, parallel realities. Basically, that's what the writer, if Moses wrote it even, uh, the writer says literally in a beginning. The Europeans came along and they interpreted it as in the beginning, but it's a beginning. So what we read as Genesis 1 is the way Moses imagined it. You, you have to bring imagination into your spirituality and you have to imagine your own, uh, your own law and gospels and, uh, it's the whole reason why Jesus said it's necessary that I go away. If I don't go away, you'll never use your creativity. If I don't go away, you'll never use your innovation because you'll you'll wait for me to tell you what is what. And I'm telling you, I need to remove myself so that you can begin to see what is what. Okay. So um, then uh, it says... Uh, Chapter two begins by talking about a serpent and um, he's not called Lucifer. There's other, uh, there's a lot of uh, imagery throughout the Bible of things that are, that people have interpreted to say, this is all talking about our modern idea of Satan. Most of our modern idea of Satan came from Greek mythology, Pan, the idea of a, of an entity with horns and even in uh, Isaiah 14 where it says uh, they will all look upon him narrowly and say is this the one who deceived the whole world if you go back and read it in context he's talking about a king that fell he's not talking about this this uh, fallen angel that took a third of the uh, of the host of heaven out with him uh, so, so much of what especially people in certain circles where I've been, what they've called spiritual warfare is things that they've imagined. Your imagination is very, very powerful. Um, uh, Howie asked me the other day if I'd ever heard of Neville Goddard, and I hadn't until uh, two or three years ago, uh, Ralph Martin gave me his books. I'd, I'd never even heard of him. And when I read some of this stuff, it sounded so much like what I teach. And I, that's why I, I know I'm not the only one who sees stuff like this. I know there are people who have come before. But Neville Goddard talks a lot about how God really is your imagination and the way you image things. Is the, I mean, And really, that's the essence of what Moses is trying to say, where he says, let's create people in our image and let's see what they imagine. Let, let's see what uh, they bring about. Um, if you've ever been to San Francisco, I love San Francisco. And uh, I remember one time uh, driving across the Golden Gate Bridge, I was headed up to Napa Valley. And it, it's, it's such a beautiful setting there in San Francisco Bay. And you see the mountains there. It's like, it's just overwhelming, uh, incredible, awe-inspiring nature. And then right in the middle of it is this amazing architectural feat uh the golden gate bridge it's incredible it was built back in the 30s i think 1931 and it's still an architectural marvel and when you see man's achievement in the context of what we call god 
it's it's just this I, I remember just having this moment that was so overwhelming I had to really snap out of it and think you're you're on the Golden Gate Bridge, keep driving. But I just I just became so awed by the ocean and the mountains and then how did somebody come up with this technology? Uh, it's 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 always been amazing I don't want to get sidetracked here, but it's always been amazing to me how during the depression some of the most incredible things were accomplished, like the like um Hoover Dam, the Empire State Building, the Chrysler Building. So many of these architectural achievements came out of a time where, you know, if, if you just looked at one reality in, in America, you would think they're going down the tubes. But it was this incredible um, season of creativity. And that's why sometimes the worst thing you go through in life, by the way, I'm prophesying to somebody right now, the worst thing you go through in life sometimes will crack you open and this other level of creativity comes out of it. I remember reading um, a Watchman Nee book years ago where he talked to, it was, uh, uh, he was talking about the spirit and the soul and how that when the, when the uh, soul is cracked open, he talked about how like an acorn falls in the ground and when it cracks open, the life of the seed comes out of it and out of it comes this amazing oak tree. And that's why sometimes it takes a real kick in the pants, uh, something to really scare the hell out of you for you to, for it to open up your imagination, open up your eyes, open up, uh, open up your, um, <laughs> what's indeed. Shut up, Allie. That's a private joke. <laughs> Not what's indeed. Watch my knee. <laughs> Don't make me laugh at private jokes that would be so stupid if we explained them now. Um, but anyway, uh, the sometimes a, a painful experience actually gives you clarity. Um, I know in my my own situation right now. I mean, I'm I'm doing I'm having this echocardiogram uh, Wednesday. I have not ruled out the total possibility that they might not be able to find. I mean, according to the doctors, I have a 4.5 size aneurysm in my aorta. And I have a friend who has a 4.3 that's going into open heart surgery in the next few days. Uh, so I'm, I'm believing that's not going to happen to me, but honestly, and I'm not telling you not to pray for me. And I'm not telling you, I haven't had some, roller coaster emotions the last few days and at the same time my senses are so heightened right now I'm like uber aware of everything and um, I don't it's like how do I explain this it's like the fear of it actually propels you into this heightened sense of awareness of everything so I'm I mean I, I'm not gonna say there haven't been some mental uh, issues over this whole thing but also if if Adam called it a zebra and God called it a zebra I'm calling it a blessing I'm calling it an amazing wake-up call about my own health I'm calling it a paradigm shift of of my senior years. I'm calling it the the best thing that ever happened to me. I I I bless it. Do you understand? Like I I bless this thing that's happened to me. I honor it. I'm I'm not I'm not even cursing it. I'm I'm blessing it. I, I, please let that make sense to your spirit because it it can sound counterintuitive. Something that could easily you know end your life just like that like how could that be a blessing i don't know it just is it's just a blessing i'm sure in my heart of hearts uh i i'm not really i, I don't think i'm gonna you know cross over in the next few days but in the meantime i also feel super energized super blessed super intolerant of bs in my life uh i can't I don't have time to entertain nonsense. Uh, I, I'm glad that it's made me 
really count my days and really, uh, even more than I normally do, document everything that happens to me and really uh, give me a, 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 a sense of, um, you know, real appreciation, appreciating everything. And uh, crazy as it sounds, when I wake up every morning, I'm like, oh, I woke up. Yay! Another day. I got another day, and it makes you, it makes you just. Some people would say, "Doesn't that scare you?" Like, no, not really. It makes me feel supercharged. And and it, don't misunderstand me. I'm not surrendering to the disease. Believe me, I'm doing everything I know uh, to do in the natural realm. And yet, you know, after you've uh, after you've done everything you know to do, then all you can do is just like, well, let me enjoy what time I have left to make the most of it. And um, again, not being fatalistic, certainly don't have a death wish, but, um, <laughs> you know, it's like something can happen to you from life that just really, uh, you know, it's like a, a sonic boom, you know, and once you know, once you start getting your hearing back, you're like, whoa, what just happened? I can, I can see clearly now the rain is gone. <laughs> so, um, anyway, uh, I mean, I quite frankly don't think I've gotten to my best teaching yet. I think, you know, I haven't even gotten to the best part of my ministry yet. Um, I have still visualized my latter years as being a sage, you know, the guy that people uh, make appointments with, you know, to you have to climb up a mountain to talk to the guru. I, I feel like I'm going to become that guy. Like I'm the guy that, you know, is the old man that has the amazing wisdom that, you know, you know, you've seen the that imagery before, you know, you go to meet the guy and he says the thing to you and you're like when i was in his presence whatever he said i want to be that guy i want to be that enlightened guy that just um i don't know that so so i still uh so t <laughs> i hope you didn't think oh my god he just <laughs> he just checked out Sorry, my my phone was slain in the spirit. Sorry, the anointing, <laughs> the anointing got too strong. <laughs> y'all, y'all still here? Uh, <laughs> let me get up to my. Um, <laughs> I did not just cross over, by the way. If you're wondering, like, crap, <laughs> what just happened? <laughs> so anyway. Um, so back to Genesis. Uh, so the serpent, the, the writer says the serpent was more subtle than any other uh, creature, which it's, it's very interesting. I hadn't even thought about this. I've got to look at what the original word says, but in the Greek, uh, I mean, in the Hebrew that the Old Testament was written in, <laughs> they got your attention, babe. <laughs> Y'all just thought I crossed over. <laughs> it was just a trial run. <laughs> so anyway, um, in our English Bibles, I didn't even think of this. I, it just came to me. It says the the serpent was more subtle. Some, some translations say cunning, but it's interesting. Some translations, I'm pretty sure. If I'm wrong, I'll take this back. Pretty sure in King James, it's I don't. Uh, I know the word subtle is in there somewhere. Subtlety, and um, uh, I think there's something to that because everything about here's my point reading this story genesis 1 2 and 3 which is really the thesis of the entire bible the it's very like 
what we call the fall are these very nuanced, tiny little changes. All right, let me get let me get to the point. I've belabored this more than I meant to. Um, the serpent comes to Eve and says, uh, "Can you eat of anything in the uh, garden?" And Eve says, "We can eat of every." Uh, thing in, that produces fruit in this garden uh, except for this, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because uh, the creator says uh, that um, if we eat of it we'll die. So the serpent says you're not going to die. The creator just said that because he knows that if you eat this you're going to become like him. Alright, right there the answer should have been what are you talking about? We already are like him. It's like the temptation was already the reality. God had already said, let us make people in our image. So when the serpent says, you won't die, you'll become like him, Eve should have said, we already are like him. What are you talking about? So then she uh, partakes and she gets Adam to partake. And uh, then it says they were already naked, but suddenly they had a perception that they were naked. Everything about this story is about a tiny little bit of tweaking in perception. He knows you'll become like God. We are like God. Uh, if I eat, I'm going to be naked. I already was naked. Where's the, where's the big disconnect? So in um, uh, chapter 3, the Creator comes to walk with Adam in the cool of the day. And uh, Adam, where are you? Adam hides, tr sews together. Uh, it, it's not the fig leaf. He's not covering his genitalia for modesty purposes. It was, he was scrambling around trying to cover himself up with, with limbs and leaves and foliage to try to, you know, create a facsimile of what, what he thought he had lost, even though he hadn't lost it. And later in the story, the creator gives them a placebo and, and, and uh, slays these animals and puts animal skins on them just to make them feel better. It's the same concept as when you swaddle a baby. It's to make the baby, it's a placebo. It makes the baby feel like it's still securely in the womb. That's what, you know, those, those skins did not make Adam and Eve righteous. The only thing that made them unrighteous was thinking they were unrighteous. With the heart, man believes under righteousness. With the heart, man believes. With the heart, man believes in unto righteousness. If our heart condemns us, we do not have confidence before God. If our heart condemns us not, then we have confidence. The condemnation doesn't come from God. It comes from our own imagination. It comes from our own heart all these things you thought god was mad at you about he never was it was you scrambling through the garden of eden trying to find something to put on he'd already he'd already seen you naked he already knew what you looked like all things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do that's why hebrews 4 says we have not an high priest who cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities it's just the same principle he could just as easily have said we have not an high priest who is not familiar with our nakedness so he says, um, where are you? And so Adam finally comes out of hiding and he says, uh, I hid from you because I was naked and I was afraid. The creator does not say, you sure are. He didn't say that. He said, who told you that? Who told you you were naked? Uh, you know who told him? Adam told himself he was naked. You say, no, the serpent did. Nope. Nope, 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 nope. The serpent could not make Adam or Eve do anything they didn't want to do. Adam, who told you you were naked? If Adam had had any sense of self-awareness at all, he would have said, I told myself that. I assumed I was naked and afraid. It wasn't like, it wasn't like God was coming through the Garden of Eden going, where are you naked, Adam? Where are you? <laughs> was it like, sorry, sorry, but I just caught the attention of a security guard walking by. I'm doing a very intense teaching. <laughs> um, that got some, that got some attention. Anyway, um, 
he said, where are you? And Adam says, I hid because I was naked. And, and God says, who told you that? He told you that. You know, may I tell you that most of the lies you've believed that have kept you limited in your life, you told yourself that. Now, you interpreted it because of what somebody else said. And especially if you were a child and vulnerable to uh, authority figures, you interpreted what you interpreted what they did or said, and it became your truth. But let me tell you something: um, nobody can impose their truth on you unless you believe their truth. Nobody can make you feel inferior without your consent. So when Adam, when God says, "Who told you you were naked?" He's basically it's it's a verbal clue to say, "Adam, you told yourself this," and and and. Some people have told themselves lies because of what they've read in the Bible or what they've interpreted that somebody in you know, thousands of years ago said that they, those people were imposing their viewpoints. And so they told themselves that. I mean, I'm telling you, the majority of the world is people going through life with somebody else's knowledge, somebody else's understanding, not inspiration is supposed to cause you to come forth and create your own reality the word education means to draw out i'm not i'm not imparting information to you i'm drawing out things that you already knew that's why it resonates with you because somehow i have a gift of facilitating uh helping people know what they didn't know they already knew and i'll, I'll tell you this also if, if you're the one that told yourself you're naked, you're the only one that can tell yourself you're not. If you're, if you're the one who told yourself you're less than, you're the, yeah, the, the only way out was the way you got in. And that's the whole reason Jesus did not die on the cross to appease an angry sky god. He died on the cross because people thought they were naked, which is why he was nailed up on a cross and naked. Yeah, but he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. Who told you they were transgressions and iniquities? Well, I that's what I read. That's what you read and interpreted to yourself. Paul had a little glimpse of it when he said, all things are lawful, but not all things are expedient. I, he talked about, I will not be brought under the power of anybody else. So, so many people are going through life with, with a hijacked imagination. And I'll tell you this, if you took on somebody else's imposed belief system and it's hurt you in your life, that's on you. You you're the one that you're the one that let the stranger in. You're the one that opened the door to the false idea. So there's no point in blaming a serpent, which is amazing because when when God confronts Adam and Eve and the serpent, they all blame they all pass the buck. Adam, you know, Adam says, uh, I didn't want to do this. Um, it was the woman that you gave me. In other words, it's her fault and it's your fault. And so then he comes to the woman and the woman says, not me. It was the serpent. I'm telling you, as long, I don't care who victimized you. Uh, no matter what they did, and we could all tell our sad tales of things that traumatized us, traumatized us and still trigger us. Quite frankly, I still have a few of them even in me. I think that I don't some days and then something will happen. I'll have an overreaction from somebody in the religious community. I had it just this week with somebody I had to block and I think, why did I let, the, why did I let that person get in my head like that? Why didn't I just dismiss this as somebody who's, you know, got their own issues? Why is this becoming my reality? And I realize it's because my, I still have neuropaths that are connected to, you know, hate mail and all kind of uh, stuff that I've, um, you know, be, has been imposed on me from religious teaching. And it doesn't mean that I've empowered her. It means it's a wake up call to me to say, huh, you, you need to go through and there's still there's still some valleys that need to be exalted and some mountains that need to be brought low and some crooked places that still need to be made made straight. Uh, so that I can prepare the way of the Lord. And when I make straight in the wilderness a highway from God for God, then God, the real God that I have imagined comes through and the whole earth is filled with his glory. So, but as long as I have these 
these little potholes in my head that where I, you know, get triggered by something. It, it, it's my responsibility to go through and say, what, what the heck's going on here? Uh, this thing where I just had to block this person uh, actually turned out to be a blessing because it made me realize, huh, uh, you know, like Jesus said, Satan has come to me, but he has nothing in me. I found out, oh, religious people, they could still jerk me around a little bit. So that doesn't mean I'm weak. It means, oh, good to know. That's a kingdom key that I need to know. So now you just made me freer than I already had. <laughs> How he said something to me. He's on here, but I called him this week because I just needed to work through some things that had been triggered in me that, you know, they just had. And I noticed he had posted that he had had to block somebody else. And I don't think how we might, you won't mind me saying this with you. It, this made me laugh for some, I really laughed in days. He blocked this guy cause he'd already warned the guy. He'd already said, don't come on my page with all your, you know, religious stuff. And he'd already given the guy a couple of warnings. And, and so how he posted up last week and the guy came back on there again and said, Jesus needs to set you free. How he said, you know what? He did come to set me free. And when I hit that delete button and that, <laughs> and I blocked him, I set myself free. <laughs> That's right. That's a deliverance ministry. You don't need to rebuke demons. You just need to block some people in your life who are just wearing you out with their spiritual or not spiritual, their religious ideas that they've already made their point. Like I got it. So hit that delete button as much as you need to and saying I'm so glad Jesus set me free I'm so glad you're out you're out you're out Bishop I thought you believed in inclusion I do inclusion doesn't mean you're allowed to come on my page or bombard my messenger uh, my private uh, inbox with religious arguments about things I've already written books about years ago I don't want to argue with you about them so you're not a bad person you're not going to hell because oh, there is no hell but you're you're fine just not in my world because you're you're triggering me uh in ways that i don't want want to be triggered and furthermore i don't have to i own my triggers so out 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 and i'm freer now than i was this time last week so again you turn those things into blessings. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That mean I'm going to be friends with them. It means I release them. Uh, I forgive them. Uh, probably never speak to them again, but I forgive them. You know, and, and it's all good. So he says, um, he says to them, and this is the part I had never taught them before Thursday night. He says, all right, because you've done this, I'm going to pronounce these curses on you. So first, to the serpent, he says, from now on, you're going to have to crawl on your belly and eat the dust of the earth. You won't have legs like the cattle. You'll be on your belly. All right. If you, if you think this uh, story is literal, then why wouldn't you think that's the curse? The serpent already was on his belly. The serpent already did... It's not like he was had wings and then God said, oh, from now on, you're going to slither around. If it was really a serpent, he already was on his belly. So it's kind of like, have you ever had a, well, uh, let me say it this way. You know, the whole thing about the Hatfields and the McCoys, the, the legendary families in somewhere in Kentucky that had this feud that went on for generations and generations. They say that at a certain point, the families had no idea what even what they were fighting about. It's just that one side's uh, uh, feeling of injustice had been passed on to a next generation. So they're fight. These people are killing each other, shooting each other over issues that their grandparents and great grandparents had that they don't even know what the big fight was about. So I'm like, all right, the serpent says, if you eat the fruit, you'll be like God already are like God. God says, because the serpent did this, you're going to crawl on your belly. He already was crawling on his belly. Then he says to the woman, because you ate of the fruit, now it's going to hurt to have a baby. Well, I'm going to tell you something. And I'm sure any woman that's had a baby could say, yeah, it hurts like hell. It doesn't hurt like hell indefinitely. And furthermore, how is that really 
a curse as much as it's just a, a fact of, you know, it's just a logical thing that if a large object goes through a small opening, yeah, for a short amount of time and short, maybe even if you had a long labor and you had painful contractions, it still wasn't for the rest of your life. So if, if the curse, if the curse that supposedly Jesus came to reverse, you know, Galatians 3 says, cursed is it. He became a curse for all of us, cursed everyone that hangs on a tree. If, if this was the curse, look at it. Serpent already on his belly. Eve, I'm thinking if they had never fallen, it still would have hurt when Cain and Abel came out of her womb just because that's going to hurt. Not indefinitely. And in the Gospels, Jesus says that a, a woman forgets the, the pain of her childbirth for joy that a person has been brought into the world. So obviously, you know, there, there are some women that have had multiple children. They knew that it hurt. They, they went back in for more. So that was it. That was the curse. And then he says to the man, because um, you've done this, now you're going to have to grow things by the, uh, through planting them in the ground and, the, and through the sweat of your brow and you're going to have to work. Well, that's what we all do. I mean, in, in uh, Genesis 2.15, he, he had already said he put Adam in the garden to tend and to keep it. So, so here's the curse. This is what Jesus had to come and die on the cross for if you take this literally. Because a snake that was already crawling on his belly is crawling on his belly. It's going to hurt to have a baby, and yard work makes you sweat. That's it? When people say, no, the curse was being lost eternally and going to hell. Where do you see that in the Genesis story? God, it says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It doesn't say he created the heaven and earth and hell. Hell was imagined. It was imagined for, um, uh, you know, by people who wrote these things later on in the original genesis story no this is all this is all misperceptions of things that were already reality jesus says if there's any way let this cup pass from me and apparently there was no way for it to pass from him so because people had believed something so for so long that was so wrong he had to make a uh a, a public display of it. Like, I'm going to show you something really dramatic. Uh, I'm going to die on a cross. I'm going to, it, it's not permanent. I'll be back in three days. But if this is what it takes to get you to think differently about yourself and stop condemning yourself, then so be it. With the heart, man believes unto righteousness. And with the, the mouth, confession is made into salvation. So even yesterday, uh, see the Jack and Jackie are on here. And Jack's, uh, father transitioned last week wonderful mr neils 90 right at 99 and uh his wife myrtle transitioned a few years ago and they were just they were sort of some of you that maybe remember them from church in the now they were kind of the unofficial grandparents of the church and one thing i loved about neil and myrtle they were so sweet and they were considerably older than the, the median age of Church in the Now. And I can remember back when, when Church in the Now was really rocking and rolling. Like sometimes I would come out and preach something re that really pushed the envelope. And they would just be right on the page with me. Like, you know, I'd, I'd preach something that w would make Southern Baptist's head explode. And, and Myrtle would meet me out in the line and go, ooh, that was the greatest sermon I ever heard. And I think, really? Wow, these are some hip older people. Or uh, you know, sometimes we'd have uh, music that was just, it was so loud that even I'm on the stage going like, good Lord, y'all turn it down. I mean, I'm, I'm being like an old fart going, this music's too loud and too sounds like rock and roll in here. Not Neil and Myrtle. Myrtle would be up there like clapping everything. And I, I always thought, man, y'all, you guys are reinventing, you know, what it's like to be, older because y'all are definitely not old fogies so um yesterday i went to uh mr neil's uh, service it was a good service and uh the man who spoke he did a fine job he knew a lot of the scriptures and 
a lot of the way he phrased things, quoting scripture, actually reminded me of you know the way that I talk. And uh, what I'm about to say is in no way throwing him under the bus because at least I will give him this: he made the he made the service about Neil, which is what uh, a service is supposed to be. It's not supposed to be a, an opportunity for a pastor to give altar calls. But he did say at the end, and again, I'm not criticizing him because this is pretty what, what, pretty much what Christian pastors are uh, expected to do. And to his credit, he didn't belabor the point. He didn't. I thought, please don't do an altar call, which he didn't. But he did say, uh, he did say, um, he was talking about the overwhelming love of God. God loves us so much. Neil was a, a you know, manifestation of that kind of love. He talked about how a family member had scratched up Neil's new truck and she was really upset about it. He said it's fine and hugged her and said it could be fixed. And so he's really, what he's implying is that, you know, Neil represented a, a merciful, loving God who's not just on our case about everything. So I'm like, okay, here, here, that's good. You know, I could have, if I was doing that funeral, I could give you some anecdotes because I maybe knew Neil better than he did because in, in you know Neil's later years he's been in a convalescent home, but um, but he did say and he he touched on it briefly and got off of it. But he did say, if you ever want to see Neil again, if you want to experience this love, it, this is for belief. He made a couple of statements implying, and I believe me, I've heard it done much more uh, heavy-handedly. He did say. Uh, this is only for believers to get this. So, and but at least he moved on from it and didn't, you know, bring it up. But but I'm listening to it because my ears, my my ears are perked up right now, and so I'm listening to this. And I thought, you've just if if I had never heard this message before, you've convinced me through your message today that God is this loving God that was like Neil. Neil was like this sweet guy who didn't yell at people for scratching up his truck but then in the same breath you just told me that God's only going to love me like that if I love him back and again not throwing him under the bus he was fine and I'm sure Jack and Jackie wouldn't mind me saying this but uh, I'm thinking there's a real disconnect with that because it's either or you can't have it both ways if you're going to say God's this loving God or that God is love and you're going to tell me that love is this limitless boundless thing where I've got to forgive my enemy 70 times 7 you're going to tell me that if I don't love him back like he wants to be loved that he's going to take it out of me and punish me again this pastor did not talk about hell yesterday but for those of us who know what he's saying you fill in the blanks and then listening to that, and I thought, man, it's hard to make that story fly. Either God's this petty, um, overreactive person who says, uh, I, I'm obsessed with you unless you don't love me back, and then I'm going to be mad at you forever. Like, there's something just wrong with that message. So, back to um, uh, Genesis. He says... Um, um, this is the curse. Then he says, we've got to remove the man from the garden lest he, uh, he says, now the man is like one of us knowing good from evil. And I'm, I, when I read it, I think you already said he was like one of you. Why is this a revelation? You already said, let us make people in our image. So I could, I could argue the point that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil made him more like God. Um, but then he says, lest he put in his hand and eat from the tree of life and live forever. Well, I thought you said that was the whole purpose that he eat from the tree of life. And then it says he, they, he asked them from the garden, but he puts, um, uh, an angel, a cherubim with a, a flaming sword that guards the way to the tree of life. He didn't, does not say to keep them out of the garden of Eden. It's the way, here, listen to me. Um, the, the ministry is showing people the, the way to the tree of life, 
not giving them ultimatums about being kicked out of the garden. And therein lies the difference. So my point in saying all this, I'm walking upstairs now. My point in saying all this is all this stuff about the fall and what we think sin is, it seems like it just came out of a of a sense of misunderstanding and misperceptions. Uh, oh, <laughs> yeah, I can't say. Hey, Wynn, could you just give me about... Just give me about five minutes, Wynn, if you'll just die down. That would be awesome. Um, it's, a, it's a gorgeous day out here, by the way. But anyway, um, so I guess the main thing, let's see if I can get in a doorway somewhere and block this off. Oh, you know what? I could do this. I'm about to finish. <laughs> I went up the stairs, now I'm going down the stairs. Um, back to my original text in um, Isaiah 11. We talks about the seven spirits of God, and this is really the main thing I'm going to say today, is uh, the spirit of understanding. And when your eyes and ears are open, your mind is open, you find a place of understanding that you didn't know was possible. You know, I was uh, I'm not a football fan, but I always watch the Super Bowl. I mean, it's a big cultural event, and Ken was here last Sunday, and we watched it. And um, I'm always amazed at. Uh, but I'm I'm in. By the way, I'm inside this sculpture. Like that's one side of the sculpture, and there's the other. So maybe this will block a little bit of the wind off. Um, I, I thought it was a great game. I was into it. I mean, I wasn't even switching the channels. I watched all the commercials. And, um, you know, inevitably, all the stuff starts up about halftime shows. That seems to be... People want to argue about halftime shows as much as they want to argue about the Bible. And quite frankly, I've never seen... I guess because I've always been on the production end of things... I've never seen a halftime show that I thought was horrible. I mean, I was, I'm always amazed at what they're able to do. Um, you know, I looked at Rihanna floating up there on those uh, uh, platforms they had suspended, and I'm thinking, she's fearless. Like, good Lord, that's, that's amazing they're able to do that. Win, please, give me a second. Um, this might have brought the wind up even more. Let me try. Let me go in here. Hang on, because I want to make this point. Let's see if it's blocked off here. Yeah, maybe that's better. So, um, is that better? Okay. Uh, <laughs> you spin me right around. <laughs> that's a funny one, Jason. Anyway, I'm, I'm watching the whole thing, and I'm like, wow, that's kind of amazing and and uh rihanna apparently is pregnant and i thought this incredible and uh i read people were criticizing what she had on and i you know from what i knew her what she was wearing was an homage to um uh andrew andre leon talley the the uh larger than life um uh, uh, editor at large of Vogue who used to wear those uh, they're called sleeping bag coats red designed by Norma Kamali and it was an homage to him and then that made me to this morning I was like they just auctioned off some of his stuff at Christie's and uh, they raised uh, 3.5 million dollars for the Abyssinian Baptist Church in Harlem and they had a, cho a the choir from the church at Christie's at the, at the uh, uh, auction singing the gospel song How I Got Over and it was so anointed and I'm he said what's that got to do with your sermon it's because God people just argue about everything and nitpick everything and it's just because they have a a, a lack of understanding um, this is why I'm not even mad at people who don't understand what I do I don't want to I don't want to engage with them constantly. I want to avoid strife. 
But I also understand where they're coming from. I also understand and have compassion. It's like it's like when you had a, a, a baby that was just freaking out and screaming and you just, and you, as, as upset as, as you can be with them, you also understand they're just tired and hungry. They just need a nap. They just need to eat. And that's kind of the way I feel about, I don't even feel defensive for the stuff that I teach anymore. I just think, well, people that don't understand it, they're just not there yet and they'll eventually get it. So, uh, so that's everything I wanted to say. Um, I'll go read your um, comments later. Or, I mean, I'll read them now. And uh, I'm going to go get something to eat somewhere around here. And uh, remember, we'll be back in the theater first Sunday of March. And if you want to give to the, min- the ministry, if you believe in what I'm doing, if you support me, then please go to bishinthenow.com. Um, the the giving needs to come back up for sure. And I'm not even yelling at you about it. I'm just saying, just, you know, we, we still have, you know, stuff we have to pay for every month. So please do that. If you need your, uh, your statement for charitable donations for your income tax, you can get that there too. Bish, like short for Bishop, bishinthenow.com. And uh, if you want to give to me personally, I have all the cash apps and I, I always appreciate it and thank you for it. And, um, I just pray for your understanding and I'm curious to hear what you think about today and um, I'll be back for more later. Peace.